This world is an overly sexualized world. It's a world that continues to bombard us with its sexual ethic, its sexual worldview, and and it's just all over the place, right? We cannot avoid it. Wherever we look, whatever we listen to, whatever we turn on in the television as we're driving down the road, right? The world's worldview concerning sex is absolutely prevalent. And it's important that we as a church, and it's important for us as parents, not to stick our head in the sand as it concerns this topic. A lot of churches don't like to talk about these kind of things. In fact, parents don't even like to talk about these kind of things with their kids. They're just kind of hoping, you know, it kind of rubs off on them, right? The, the good sexual ethic, right? Without having to have too many deep conversations. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to be working through these passages in the fifth chapter of Proverbs, and we'll also be touching on a few of the other uh, chapters concerning this particular topic, where Proverbs, God's Word, is going to give us some strong warnings against sexual sin and temptation. The consequences of giving in to sexual sin It's going to show us a way to avoid sexual sin, and more importantly, we're going to talk about the beauty of sex and marriage as God has designed for it to be. Now, this is going to be a very sensitive topic, right? There's sensitive themes that we're going to be talking about. And I promise you parents with little ones, I'm going to keep in mind, we have little ones present today. So uh, I'm going to do my best in addressing this topic by not being overly graphic or any of those things. Uh, But yeah, you you may have some conversations at home. (laughs) But that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) So yeah, take notes. And um, I'm going to change my email address and phone number, so I let you handle that. (laughs) All right. Well, let's turn to God's Word, the fifth chapter of the book of Proverbs, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6 today. Hear the words of the living God. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, Her ways wander, and she does not know it. These are the words of the Lord. Now, the introduction of this particular lesson follows the ones we've been looking at previously, right? The admonition of the father to his son, Solomon to his young son, to heed his words, right? To listen to his teaching, listen to his instruction, obey his commands, put them in his heart. Don't forsake them. Don't abandon them. Hear, like really hear and listen. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Don't stick your fingers in your ear and and pretend that you can't hear the way of wisdom, my wisdom, the teachings I am giving you. Again, parents, with each lesson, right, it reinforces over and over again our responsibility. Our responsibility before God concerning our children and stewarding our young children's life for us to convey wisdom to our children, to to transmit to them our spiritual heritage, spiritual teaching, God's word, God's wisdom, because that's what they need to hear. 
but also instruction on life. For wisdom is the skill of living rightly, and it involves all of life, everything in life, and it's our primary responsibility to do that. We cannot abdicate that. We can't that, hand that over to someone else, to another teacher, a kid's uh, classroom teacher, or at school, or anyone else. It's our responsibility as parents. What does that mean concerning the theme we're going to talk about in terms of sex and sexuality and sexual ethics? That means you get to have the talk with your kids. And not just one time, lots of times. This is a continual and ongoing talk and conversation with your kids. Some parents just get that little book with pictures. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Check it out. Look what happens. Here's how the little ones are made. And we, okay, that's it, right? I don't have to talk anymore about this thing. Nope. That's not the case at all. Moms, you got to have the talk with your daughters over and over again. Dads, you have to have the talk with your sons over and over again. We have to convey our biblical worldview and biblical sexual ethics to our children. Guess what that means? Parents, you are supposed to be the sex experts so that your kids can go to you with questions. Not to their peer group, which is where a large percentage of our kids right nowadays get their information or TikTok, or the internet, or any other number of sources, right? Or TVs, or music. No, it's their parents. And we we can't be silent concerning these things. We can't even be embarrassed about this beautiful design that God has given for a man and a woman to enjoy in the context of marriage. So we need to be the ones that they are coming to with questions. Is it awkward? Sure. Is it cringy? Yeah, sometimes it can be, but it's our responsibility. And our kids should never fear that they can come to us with those kinds of questions. They shouldn't, or they're not going to be, you know, just put down, hey, you shouldn't be talking about that. We can't talk about that. Just don't do it until you're married. (laughs) Right? That, That cannot be the sum of our talk with our kids. Don't do it until you're married. Well, a whole lot of good that does nowadays, does it? Gosh, I remember as a youth pastor, right, you know, we were so steeped in just dumb legalism and all that kind of stuff where that was it. Just telling kids, just don't do it. Keep that thing zipped up. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't get caught alone with a, with a girl or with a guy. Just don't. True Love Waits. Anyone remember the True Love Waits campaign? Yeah, that works really well. <laughs> purity rings. Anyone got a purity ring? As a teenager, right? Making those oaths of virginity. Those those works of the flesh are not strong enough to subdue the innate passions and desires that young men and young women have. Why? Because we've been hardwired a certain way. So those things are not enough. Our kids need to understand God's design for men and women. Uh, nowadays, we really got to explain that, right? Because what's a man? What's a woman? I don't know. What do you want it to be? Whatever you think it is. That's not truth. Truth is what corresponds with reality. God made man and he made woman, biological male and female. There are only two. There only have ever been two. 
there will only ever will be two. That was a tongue twister. And so two, right? They, they need to understand God's design for marriage. What is this thing that God put together, this one flesh union where two become one? And, and all that that signifies and all that it is a model for. They need to understand how beautiful the gift of sex is in marriage. It's not a dirty thing. It's abused, it's perverted, it's distorted, it's twisted by the world. But it is a gift of God. We're going to talk a little bit about more than that in a couple of weeks. And they also need to understand the consequences if they choose to live outside of God's good design. It is destructive. It is damaging. It will lead you to the path of ruin. We need to be able to talk about these things with our kids. The sad thing is we have to have that talk with our kids at a much younger age than we have in the past. Our kids are exposed to things from a young age, man, and, and it's just, it's, uh, it's hard because you're going to do your best to try to shield them from those things, but it's out and it's everywhere. Um, so w- we need to use wisdom and we need to look at their age and in age-appropriate ways begin to explain to them things that we had hoped to delay explaining you know, till they were like 35, you know, so. <laughs> so we can't be silent about these things. Now, this talk that Solomon has with his son is a warning against the adulteress, the forbidden woman, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but it's fascinating and, and important to note how many times this lesson comes up in these first nine chapters, Like, of all the things that Solomon is trying to convey to his son, this theme of watch out for the adulteress, watch out for the forbidden woman, stay away from the forbidden woman, right? Here's what's going to happen if you go down this path is repeated over and over again. What does that tell us? It's super important, yeah. It's really important. It's really important for the youth to, to hear this message. It's really important for adults to listen to this message. When God's word repeats something several times, we need to pay attention. Our ears need to perk up, and we need to really hold on to this teaching and really seek to understand it and live it out. Now, we're talking about Solomon, right? He's the father writing to the son here. If anyone knows the, the, the importance of this talk with his young son, it's him. He didn't do too well in this area, did he? 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000, if you can add. Like, I don't even understand that. That is whack. But if anyone knows the pain and heartache of giving into sexual temptation and sin and committing adultery and the devastation that follows all of that, it's Solomon. And if you read in 1 Kings, you'll see the devastating effects of his sexual Sin. So he knows what he's talking about here. And the warning is not one he heeded too well, but that doesn't mean we're to ignore that warning because he didn't heed it himself. It is good wisdom. It is sound wisdom for us. Now, the aim of this lesson is found right there in verse 2, where he says that you, my son, may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Right? What is discretion? 
When we talk about discretion, now it's not doesn't mean discreet, like someone who's discreet that can keep a, a secret and or not talk about things out of place. That's a portion of it. But discretion means to be able to judge wisely, to be able to judge objectively, to be able to evaluate a situation and know how to respond, know how to speak, know how to act appropriately in that situation. It's knowing how to apply wisdom and to avoid the things in life that are going to keep you, you know, off of the path of wisdom. And those who keep discretion are those who can consider the consequences of their actions. Think about them beforehand prior to taking action. There's a lot of us who take action, and then we want to, in hindsight, you know, armchair quarterback our decision and where it led us. No, the person of discretion can evaluate the situation, look out ahead, and see the consequences of their action, and then take the appropriate steps. It's also, he says here, have lips that guard knowledge. It's an interesting phrase, lips that guard knowledge. Because that phrase has to do with the speech, right? It's talking about the lips, what comes out of the mouth. The one who guards knowledge is the one who speaks only what comes from the knowledge of God. Who speaks only what comes from the way of wisdom. It's lips that speak truth. And this is important because it's going to be contrasted in a few moments to the lips of the adulteress, to her speech that does not speak truth. It's, it's, it's lies. It's, it's meant to uh, uh, deceive and seduce away from the Father's teaching and the ways of wisdom. Now, we looked last week uh, at uh, one of the key verses of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 4.23. Where it tells us to keep our heart with all vigilance. Why? Because from it flows the springs of life. That our hearts are the command center, right? Our heart's the command center of our being. Our heart directs our life. What's in our heart is what comes out of our mouth. What's in our heart is what guides our head, our hands, our feet, our whole being. So it's important that what's in our heart is wisdom. What's in our heart is God's word and his ways and his truth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak, speaks. And that's a person of discretion. Has God's word hidden in his heart? Has, her, has God's word hidden in her heart? Speaks truth. Guards knowledge. I think of Joseph as a great example of this. Go read in Genesis 39 that story of how he was being seduced day after day by Potiphar. Trying to seduce him to, to go to bed with her, to, to, to lie with her. And every day, he would resist. Every day, he would proclaim truth. How can I do this wickedness? How can I sin against God? And, and also recognizing the consequences if he went down that path, right? His master was not going to treat him too nicely you know, if he did something with his wife. Now, we know the outcome of that, right? Despite all of that, he paid a, a consequence, but... But not for doing wickedness or evil, but for standing for truth. For keeping discretion and his lips guarding knowledge. And I think that is a great example for us. This matter of sexual temptation and sin is a hard issue. So when it concerns this theme and topic of sex, how we think about it, how we speak about it, right, is super important. We have to pay attention to that. Again, our world has its view. Our world makes clear its view. There's not a TV show nowadays that you can watch, you know, that isn't going to 
it doesn't take long, right? Within the first few minutes, which, oh, there's a sexual innuendo, a crude joke about sexuality, a, a, a sex scene, or, you know, uh, something of that nature, right? It, it doesn't take long. Watch a movie. Every movie's got to turn down that path. Music, right? Laced with sensu- sensual lyrics. And this is one thing we have to understand. There is nothing in this world that is morally neutral. Nothing at all. If you listen and watch those things indiscriminately, like you're watching it, it doesn't phase you, you listen to it, and it doesn't matter what it's talking about, this guy doing this with a girl, this girl doing this with a guy, right? And you listen to it indiscriminately, brothers and sisters, you are being desensitized to the views of this world concerning sexual ethics. It's really important. It's really important that we're not filling our mind and filling our hearts and filling our lives with the wrong sexual ethic because it will influence what comes out of your mouth and how you act in life. What you're putting into your heart will inevitably flow out from your mouth. The world has its messaging. The world has a better PR campaign concerning sex than the church has and that parents are doing. Which is why we cannot be ignorant and why we cannot remain silent. Now, from the aim, we move to the motivation here. The motivation for why Solomon is telling his son to keep discretion and guard knowledge. If he doesn't keep discretion, if he doesn't guard the truth and guard knowledge, and what comes from his lips be the truth, he will not stand a chance against the forbidden woman. He has no hope of resisting the allure and the enticement of the adulteress. Now, this presumes here now that Solomon's son is of a certain age where he's probably about to get married, may already be married at this stage. Uh, In that culture, 14-year-old men, 15-year-old men, 16-year-old men could get married. Young ladies could get married around those ages as well, right? Now, I'm sure you're thinking, my 14-year-old not ready for marriage. No, but they were then, okay? You know, now they're still watching cartoons, you know, but... (laughs) Well, you hope, right? Uh, And that's all. But at that age, right, they were being prepared for marriage from a young age. Okay? It's part of that culture. So this conversation, this lesson, this, this warning that he's given his young son is because it's appropriate to his age. This is a real temptation that he will face. Verse 3, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. The forbidden woman. I know that sounds like so that's taboo. Well, she's taboo for a reason, right? She's called also later on an adulteress. What does that mean? It means she belongs to another man. She's not yours for the taking because she belongs to another. Some translations say the, the foreign woman or the strange woman, right? Strange to you because she's not yours, okay? Presumably you have your own And she belongs to someone else. Now, in other parts, you're going to see in Proverbs 7 and other places, the forbidden woman is also the promiscuous woman or the the prostitute will also be referred to with this particular language. Uh, Either way, they're covenant breakers. They're those who seek sexual liaisons outside of the marital union. And the father is teaching his son that this is going to be a real temptation that's going to come his way at some point. And he's warning him about this kind of woman. 
Now, if you're a lady sitting here this morning, you're probably wondering, why is it always just about the woman? How about the man? Again, who's writing this, right? Remember, remember who, the, who the intended audience is here at first. It's Solomon's son. It's his boys, right? These are the young men that were coming up, and, and this is the crown prince, presumably, and he is instructing him, and he's warning him, right? But we know this is God's word to us, so simply this. If Solomon was writing to his daughter, what would he be warning her about? He'd be warning her about the immoral man as well, right? He would be warning her about the, the predatory kind of man who just wants to, 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 to bed women to put another notch on his belt, the sleazy pickup artist, right, who, who, who wants a high count on his conquests. He'd be warning his daughters about that. And we also need to be warning our young ladies about that. So you can take, right, it, it's not wrong to apply this and in the opposite uh, sex as well, right? This, these admonitions to the son, Right, just just flip them, and you can see them as well. And it's important because you're going to understand that in, in a moment. That what's in view here is not just an adulteress. Right, she's a placeholder for all sorts of sexual sin. Okay, so I want you to note also that Solomon's not shifting the blame of sexual sin just on the adulteress. Like it's not all her fault. Young man, just stay away from her, man, because you're going to be an unwilling participant in the activity, you know? It's all on her. No, you're not going to see that at all. In fact, next week, you're going to see the culpability of the young son who acts in a foolish way, ignores the father's teaching, and goes down this path, and the consequences that he faces here. The son is not an innocent bystander. Everything isn't just happening to him, again, as an unwilling participant. The reality is not only can a person... An individual be preyed upon by an immoral man or an immoral woman. Someone could actually be the one who is the predator, is the immoral man or the immoral woman. And we have to heed that warning as well. So to understand what's going on here, this teaching is regarding all manner of sexual sin, not just adultery. So we read this and understand, yes, this is what the father's trying to warn his son against. The heartache, the pain, the ruin that comes from an adulterous relationship for a whole host of reasons we'll look at, look at next week. But the reality is this, is, this is what happens in all manners of sexual sin. Concerns any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. Again, the covenant of marriage is a heterosexual union between one man and one woman. Let's not be confused, right? Any sexual activity outside of marriage that destroys you, your marriage, or your future marriage is what he's talking about here. That includes not only adultery, but lust, fornication, cohabitation, one-night stands, pornography, and homosexuality. Any sexual sin. Anything that is a disordering of God's good plan and design for marriage. And sex. Now, verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Interesting imagery that's used here. Because the first way that the young man is going to be tempted and, and drawn away into sexual sin is through the words of the adulteress. Through her words, her lips, her speech. She has honey lips. Right? They drip with honey. What's honey? Well, there was no sugar back then, right? 
Honey is the sweetest, most delectable thing you can have. Her lips drip with honey. Her lips are sweet. There's some erotic language there. Read Song of Solomon and you'll see that same imagery come again, right? Her lips are delicious and beautiful. They drip with honey and her speech is what? It's smooth like oil, right? This is refined oil, olive oil that's refined. That is, at that time, would have been the, the, the smoothest kind of oil there was here. She is a charmer. She's flirtatious. She uses words to allure and pull men away from their marriage vows. A sweet talker telling a man exactly what he wants to hear. So this is what the father is warning him about. Repeating it over and over again. I'd imagine, like many of our kids, right? We repeat things to them over and over again, and they get tired of hearing it, right? You start saying it, and they'll repeat it to you, but kind of sarcastically, right? Because they know what you're saying, right? Here we go again. Here we go again. Like a broken record. Got to hear it again and again. So the Father's wisdom is like that. Just a repetition over and over again. But now we come to the forbidden woman, and she's going to offer rival words to the Father's wisdom. It's competing words, you know, to the Son, really setting aside the Father's wisdom and teaching because she's going to say something that he actually wants to hear. In fact, Proverbs 7.21 says this about the adulteress. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him, right? Same thing, seductive speech, smooth talk. Her words lure in the foolish young man. Isn't that what temptation does? Temptation calls out to each and every one of us, telling us what we want to hear. Telling us what we think will be good for us, which will bring us pleasure. So the son has a decision to make, doesn't he? Does he listen to his father's wisdom? Does he heed the father's wisdom? Or... Does he listen to these flattering words that appeal to his flesh and follow after the seductress? But when it comes to sexual temptation, we all have that same decision to make. Every adult in this room, every young man, every young woman in this room has that same decision to make. Whose counsel will you listen to? Wisdom from God, knowledge that comes from the fear of the Lord, or your flesh and your carnal desires and impulses and the flattering talk of that thing that is seducing you away from God. Not only are her lips beautiful and attractive, but the charming and seductive words that come out of those lips can draw a man in. Men are suckers for flattering talk and the smooth talk. We love to hear it. Right, men? You're like, oh, that, no, uh-huh. You know it's true. <laughs> Women know it. That's why they can manipulate, manipulate men with that smooth talk and flattering talk. You know what I'm talking about. Marketers know the power of a woman's lips, don't they? Look at the advertising, man. Those lips are glossy and, and wet and plump and big, right? <laughs> well, that's not by accident, is it? Not at all, man. They're calling attention to a feature of a woman that it can be quite sensual. Look at the advertising even targeted to women who are purchasing lip gloss and lipstick, right? All this stuff to plump up their lips and make their lips, lips look five times the size that they are, 
right? Why do women inject their lips with Botox and I don't even know what else, right? To make their lips look, right? They, they, they want to showcase those puppies, don't they? Why? Because they know they attract attention. They know guys love that. It's attractive. It's beautiful. Unless your Botox goes horribly wrong. In which case, it's not. It looks like you'll have a butt on your face. It's not a good thing, okay? Use that with extreme caution, right? But there's, there's a reason, right? Men, men are visual creatures, are we not? We are attracted physically. We get turned on physically by, by beautiful things and beautiful women, right? And lips play a big part of that. But here's the deal. Sexual sin and unfaithfulness doesn't just start with the physical look. It starts with the communication. It starts with the mouth, the lips, and the speech. And initially, that communication may seem innocent at first, may seem harmless at first. Well, it can begin at work. Your female coworker laughs at your silly jokes. No one else does, but maybe your cubicle partner does. And maybe she starts talking to you about how dissatisfied she is in her marriage and how things aren't going so great there. Maybe you have a male coworker who's always complimenting you. Oh, you really dress really pretty today. You look so nice today. I love how your hair is today. It seems innocent. Maybe an old boyfriend or girlfriend hits you up on Facebook and wants to initiate to kind of just under the guise of catching up for old time's sake. What's going on with you? And, and now some secret communication starts going back and forth. Maybe you have a friend of the opposite sex who you seem to have more in common with than your wife or your husband. So you really enjoy talking with them. Maybe the girl at the gym that you've struck up a friendship with seems to understand you better than your wife does. And maybe she just is kind of calling to attention how good you're looking and how great of a progress you're making. And you begin to think, man, my wife doesn't pay attention to me like this. She, she's not talking about, you know, how I'm working out and how I'm looking good. And the mind begins to wander. Maybe it's texting or emailing your coworker outside of work and uh, to non-work related things. And it starts going deeper and deeper. Some of the communication becomes flirty in nature. The next thing you know, the trap is set. And again, you may think it's harmless or it's innocent and maybe going to lunch with that female coworker or that male coworker and spending a lot of time with them and talking with them. Maybe that's innocent and it's not really a problem. It's harmless, but you would be dead wrong. That type of communication is forging the bonds of emotional intimacy with someone that is not your spouse that eventually will lead down the path of sexual sin. There's a warning for all of us here. Now, for some, it may not be the flirtatious or seductive or charming communication that is coming from another person. It might just be, like we've already talked about, the the messages we're bombarded by uh, from culture and from our world, right? And, and, and these messages, once again, you know, that are, that are lies that, that will eventually stoke the fires of unfaithfulness to our future spouse if we're not married right now. It's okay to fool around. It's okay to mess around. Go ahead, sleep with as many guys as you want or many girls you want or, or both, right? You got to figure out 
what you like, who you are sexually. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is, isn't there? Leads down the path of ruin and destruction. The world isn't shy about their intentions concerning sex and sexuality. It is one of the chief idols of our world, isn't it? This is why it's everywhere. It's prevalent, right? We're worshiping at this altar continually. And it's going to lead to massive confusion, pain, and heartache to those who follow that messaging. Maybe for some women, it's the communication that's going on in their own head concerning their husbands. Whatever dissatisfaction they might have or whatever needs they don't feel their husband is meeting or the expectations he's not living up to. Maybe my, you know, my husband isn't as romantic as I'd want him to be or need him to be. He doesn't listen to me like I want him to. Messages reinforced by romantic movies and, and romantic novels, right? There's a lot of women who love to read romance novels, you know, and they become emotionally invested in this, this fake character, this, this man who seems to be everything that they want and that their actual husband is not. And some of you are like, come on, who does that? Lots of women. Some of you might be going, oh my, speaking to me. It's not just non-Christian women who buy all these novels, but a large percentage. You remember when Fifty Shades of Grey came back here. Study was done. Over half of those book purchases were made by professing Christian women. A book with a completely distorted view of sex and sexuality. Twisted sexual ethics. And they were invested heavily in that series and others that have come out. For the young, for young adults, right? The Twilight series is another one. Oh, Edward Cullen is the most ideal man that there is. Oh, he can read my mind without me having to say anything to him. He's so sensitive and kind. and Oh, man. What that does in a married relationship is it leads to dissatisfaction with your own husband, with your own spouse, you know, because you're holding him up to an impossible standard, fake standard, like nobody can live up to that. To our young women, Right? We have to warn them about the flattering lips of the immoral man, as I've said. Guys can have honey lips too. <laughs> Just a different way, right? They can have smooth and flattering talk. Young ladies, if you don't know this, most men can spot an insecure woman a mile away. And that, for an immoral man, becomes an easy target, easy prey. Right To say the things he needs to say to get you to have sex with him. Happens over and over and over again. Men, watch out for the flattering lips of the person who is not your wife. Watch out for the woman with seductive language, flattering language, who's always coming around you, telling you about her failed marriage and how her husband doesn't do this or that for her. Watch out. Stay away. Avoid. Like the plague. Women, watch out for the flattering lips of the man who is not your husband. Watch out. It happens in the church. 
This isn't just out there. This isn't just in the workplace or at the gym or where you take your kids to school or to their sports activities or play dates and moms and dads are there and other things. This happens in the church. And we are always on the watch out and on the lookout for those kind of relationships that are forming between uh, uh, spouses that are not married to one another. Where one begins to confide in the other. Let me, let me let you know something here. It is not okay if you're a lady here to go to another man here who is not your husband to talk about your spouse. Not even to ask for prayer concerning something your spouse is or is not doing. You can come see me about that. You can go to a mature lady, a mature spiritual woman of God here to talk and pray about that. But you're not to go to another member of the opposite sex and talk about that. Same goes for the guys. You don't go to another woman and say, oh, man, I wish my wife was more like you. I'm going to shut you down real fast. I'm not joking. We don't play with that here, okay? This is serious. This is why God's word is presenting that to us, brothers and sisters, because we all deal with it. We will all face it. We will all be hit with this at some point or another, some repeatedly throughout their life. Be careful. Be careful. Oh, where am I here now? <laughs> Sexual sin starts with words, brothers and sisters, so be on guard. Okay? We're warned. Let's consider the end of sexual sin because now it tells us what the outcome of some of this looks like as it concerns the adulteress here. Many preachers have quoted the line, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want. And that's true. That's very true. Sin overpromises and underdelivers every time. The, the, the hook of sin, the cutting edge of sin is buried deep within the bait, but eventually you're going to be snared. Eventually you're going to be cut. Eventually you will taste the destructive end of it. So Solomon now is instructing his son concerning the deception of sexual sin and its outcome here. Verse 4. So she may have these honey lips and smooth talk, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. You see the contrast? Where she was sweet as honey, now she's bitter as wormwood. Whether, where she had smooth talk, now she's got a double-edged sword in its place. Sweetness turns to bitterness, smoothness turns to this cutting sword. This promise of pleasure, right, of following along and going after now turns into a nightmare. Proverbs twenty-two fourteen 14a says, The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. It devours, it consumes. She is the proverbial iceberg. On the surface, sweet, smooth talk, flattering, pleasure, wonder. Underneath is the devastation and the destruction and the ruin. Sin is like that. Appeals to our flesh, promises pleasure, but leaves after we do it, the devastation of shame and loneliness. Look at the imagery Solomon is using to portray uh, to the son the destructiveness of ignoring his wisdom and chasing after simple pleasure. Bitter, bitter like wormwood. Now, wormwood's an herb uh, that was used, can be used, someone can become intoxicated with it, but it's 
bitter. It's bitter. She is like that. She doesn't stay sweet for long. Some of you have tasted that, right? Who've given in to sexual sin and, and temptation where that temporary initial pleasure is gone. And it's gone rather quickly. And in its place, what do we have? Guilt and shame. Sometimes it's just psychological and spiritual. Other times it has effects and impact that moves far beyond us. There's some in in this room who've tasted the, the bitter end of adultery and divorce and the breakup of family. Some of you prior to to, to getting married were very sexually active and it has impacted your marital relationship. The devastation is real. The pain is real. The effects are real. Her smooth lips become a devouring mouth, cutting her victim to pieces. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. Now, we already saw this in chapter 2, Proverbs 2, 18 and 19. For her house sinks down to death. This is the first time Solomon's warning his son about the forbidden woman. Her house sinks down to death. Her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Sexual sin is deadly. It is deadly. Every step taken in that direction, on that path is a descent towards death. That's what God's Word says here. That's why we don't want to play with it. This is why we don't want to entertain it. You'll see next week what, what the, the warning Solomon's telling his son, don't even go to her door. Don't even walk by her house. Like, stay far away from it. Some of us like to see how close to the line we can get with this kind of stuff without crossing over, thinking, you know what? I, 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 you know, I'm not going to go that far. Now, every step in that direction is a descent towards Sheol, towards death. Her feet are pointed towards the path of the grave. Every step, her feet. There's no light there. There's no life there. There's no way of wisdom there. It's all folly. It's all folly. Every step with the forbidden woman is taking you down that path and away from the path of life. Verse 6, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. What does that mean? It means she doesn't even consider the consequences of her actions. Like that's not even on her mind. She's not concerned about it. She doesn't care about it whatsoever. She is Wandering. She's wandering in moral darkness, knowing not where she's going. Her moral compass is all screwed up, man. That thing's just all over the place. It cannot lead her on the path of life and on the way of wisdom. It's only the path of death. And those who follow after her, they're not pondering the path of life either. Those who choose that path are not considering the consequences of their actions. They give in to sexual temptation, so they are also wandering around and stumbling around in darkness. It's like having a cliff up ahead, but you don't know it's there because you're in the fog and in the midst of, of sexually immoral sin and darkness. 
Now, how do we avoid this end? How, how do we keep from going down the path of death, the, 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 the way of the uh, forbidden woman and following after her? Well, she doesn't ponder the paths of life, but we must ponder the path. We need to consider the end, the path of life. How do we do that? And one of the ways is by reverse engineering the outcome of being with the forbidden woman, of giving into sexual sin. Then this goes right back to the beginning with the aim of this particular lesson. Keep discretion. One who keeps discretion considers the end. Doesn't take a step without evaluating the outcome of where that step is going to take them. And think about that. Think about that in any time you've given in to sexual sin and have been on the other side of that, dealing with the consequences of that, and you're like, if only I didn't do this. If only I didn't walk this way. Considering where my actions will lead me if I follow through with my carnal impulses. Now, in many decades now of ministry, I have counseled many a man and a woman who has either committed adultery or has, uh, someone has been unfaithful to them in this area. But to those who have committed adultery, without fail, every single one of them has said to me, if I had known the devastation on the other side of this, the pain it has caused my family, the destruction it has brought, the shame I am walking through, my life is a mess I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. And that's true for any sexual sin. There is pain. There is heartache. There is ruin. There is devastation. Real. Temporal effects and certainly eternal ones for those who remain impenitent. A wise person keeps discretion. Ponders the consequences of their actions before they take action. So consider what happens if you're to continue that flirtatious relationship with a coworker or friend of the opposite sex. Consider what you're taking into your heart through the messaging of this world. The entertainment or music or social media and how it's affecting your sexual ethics. And if you're not married yet, what that means and what you will take into your marital relationship because you have a skewed understanding and view of it. Consider how your secret personal communication via text or email or direct messages with someone other than your spouse may be creating emotional attachments that can lead to something far worse. Think about David. Already know what Solomon's in. But think about David. If David had pondered the path of life, if David had considered the outcome of his actions, right, with Solomon's mother, he would have spared himself a lot of pain and heartache. And so would we, brothers and sisters. And so would we. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to look further at the consequences of sexual sin. Again, there's a lot to say. And on the other side of that, we're going to see one of the Best ways for married couples to avoid sexual sin. But in closing, I want to look at a passage that I believe offers us hope in the midst of sexual temptation that we are all going to face. 
Uh, and then we're going to look at some practical things here on this end. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to, to look at this passage here, passage that we're familiar with, many of us. It's probably a verse uh, and passage that you have memorized. But verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 10 says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That means none of us can say that we are exempt from sexual temptation. I remember a pastor, a former pastor of, of mine, several church iterations ago, but I remember him declaring very, very fiercely that, that somehow he had this special spiritual gift uh, where he could not fall into sexual sin. Guess what he did? Not just once. All right? None of us are exempt from sexual temptation. None of us are exempt from the seduction and the allure. And we can't think that, oh, you know, we're strong enough spiritually. That cannot happen to me. That this type of sin cannot touch me. I'll never go down that path. Oh, no, it doesn't matter if if she's the most gorgeous woman and, and she says she wants to be. I'll never cheat on my spouse. Do not let your guard down concerning sexual temptation, brothers and sisters. Don't. Don't. Don't, again, let your attitude be, let me see how close I can get to the line, right? There's nothing wrong with going to lunch with her by myself. Really? Does your spouse know you're doing that? Don't don't play with fire. In fact, Solomon tells his son later on, can you carry burning logs in your bosom and not get burned? That's what happens, right? You play with fire, you will. You'll get burned. You're not that strong. I'm not that strong. Praise God we have someone who is. But that's not us. (laughs) That's not us. Look what he goes on to say in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Sexual temptation has been around forever. (laughs) It's nothing new. There's new ways that it may manifest itself in our culture, right? Because we have, right, digital access to pornography 24-7. Again, billboards, advertising, commercials, movies, music, everything, you know, on demand, right, where we can certainly be be seduced to a greater measure and degree 24-7, But it's been around forever. You're not being tempted in a unique way that no one has ever experienced. You're not struggling with someone with something that no one else can identify with. No, no temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. You're not the only one going through this. If you're struggling with sexual sin right now, brothers and sisters, you're not alone. You're not the only one dealing with it. You're not the only one struggling with it. If we were honest with one another here and could be fully transparent with one another, knowing that, you know, we're not going to be judged, or I think a lot of us here would probably say, I'm struggling with sexual sin and temptation. Why? Because it's not common to man. It's not common at all. And this isn't just for men. It's for our sisters as well. Women consume... As much pornography as men. I know we don't like to say that. It's always the men's fault, right? 
Only the men do that filthy, nasty stuff. No, no. Same amount of women do as well. This is a problem everywhere, everywhere. The lie that we tend to believe is that we're struggling with something and no one else is going through with this, so I don't want to be transparent. I don't want to tell anyone else because I, I don't want them to think that, you know, I'm not spiritual, I'm not saved, or, or whatever it is, right? But you're not alone in the struggle. But here's the good news. Look what it continues to say there in verse 13. God is faithful. God is faithful, right? When we're faithless, he remains faithful, right? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What does that mean? Well, that means if you are in Christ Jesus, then the means by which you can overcome all temptation, even fierce sexual temptation, is available to you. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You're, that means you don't blindly obey your urges, brothers and sisters. You don't have a chain around your neck pulling you, you know, against your will towards sin. No, we sin, we're going willingly, aren't we? If we're in Christ, we've been delivered, right, from sin. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin. Sin is no longer our cruel taskmaster. We don't have to obey it. We choose to obey it. We do it willingly, but here it's telling us we're not tempted beyond our ability. You're not going to be tempted by something that is beyond your ability to withstand. Beyond your ability to say, no, I'm going to choose the path of life, the way of wisdom, the way to honor God and resist temptation and flee from it. None of us can say that. With the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Grace is available to you. Power is available to you to endure and resist every temptation, brothers and sisters. We have a faithful God and a faithful Savior that has secured that for us. That's hope, brothers and sisters. That is hope for us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When you're struggling with sexual temptation, with temptation of any kind, we have a great high priest, brothers and sisters. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who knows and understands human frailty. He knows what we face. He knows the appeal of our flesh. He understands the temptation of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For goodness sakes, he was tempted by Satan himself. None of us have been tempted by Satan himself. He was tempted by Satan himself and resisted resisted for us so that he can be our faithful mediator. So now, if you're in the throes of sexual temptation, it says here that we can confidently come to the throne of grace. And there, in our struggle, can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And I would say, if you're strongly struggling with sexual temptation, you're in a time of need. You're in a time of need, and you have a great Savior who is there to provide 
an ample flow of grace and power to help you overcome that. What we tend to do when it comes to sexual sin is we're going to white knuckle it, right? We're going to, we're going to do everything in our power to resist, right? So we're not going to look at porn or we're not going to watch those things or we're not going to listen to those things or I'm going to do my best to avoid that, that gal at work. But man, she's always chasing me. She's always tracking me down to talk to me, you know? And, and we just, you know, we're just going to do everything in our own effort, in our own power. We don't bring anybody else into the struggle, and we don't even involve God in the struggle. We're going we're gonna to overcome this ourselves. You're not. You're not. Only Christ can help you overcome that. You have to look to Christ. You have to find the source of overcoming in the one who has overcome for us. Like There's no other way for this. You come to Him, you confess your sin, you repent, and you avail yourself of grace and forgiveness and power that we have in Christ to turn from sin. Focus more on Jesus and less on your sin. Focus more on Jesus than the struggle that you're in. The continual look to Jesus is what continues to change us from one degree of glory to another. Beholding that same image of Christ Jesus. That's how grace works. That's how we continually overcome additionally you may need to confess your sin and struggle to a mature brother and sister someone who can pray for you can encourage you who can hold you accountable who can lift you up james 5 16a tells us that therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed i say a mature brother and sister because that's what we need some people are not mature and they hear what you're saying and they're not offering you any help you know, because they might be in that same struggle themselves, right? Man, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with sexual sin, grab hold of a mature brother. Confess your sin. There is safety in doing that. We've talked about that in our men's group. Like, we can talk about our struggles. We are all dealing with things. We're all going through things. Brother who can pray with you, encourage you, speak life to you, and hold you accountable, and ask you how you're doing in this area. And help you walk through overcoming this in your life. Some of you may need to take practical steps. You know, uh, if there is a particular temptation in view this way. Maybe you need to delete your social media apps. In fact, we'd all do well in doing that. Just as a general course of, of action, right? But if you have found yourself engaging with former flames, you know, or other people on there. You know, or there's images there that continually provoke sexual temptation, delete it. Delete it. Get rid of it. You don't need it. That is not one of the things you need for survival. Like if the end of the world comes, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, none of those things are necessary for survival, right? Okay? Get rid of it if it's causing you to stumble. Didn't Jesus say that? Your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Take it out. Delete it. Get rid of it. Um, Curb your media consumption. Again, if your steady diet are are TV shows, movies, and things like that that have a lot of sexually suggestive material and things, most shows nowadays on the streaming networks for adults all contain nudity. You You need to guard your heart in this area. Not be someone who consumes this indiscriminately. And some of you may need to curb or eliminate that. 
You need to stop going to lunch with that coworker of the opposite sex like I talked about. You may need to change your workout time if that girl that you're always talking to is there in her little skimpy workout outfit. Some of you may need to stop reading romance novels that make you fantasize about being with someone other than your spouse. Some of you men or women may need to put filtering software on your browser. There are practical things we can do to help us ponder the path of life, to consider the consequences of giving in to sexual sin, because it's a big deal. But beyond considering that, brothers and sisters, I need you, I need to consider, above all else, Christ. Above all else, who purchased our salvation, who purchased our freedom from sin so that we can no longer be slaves to sin and mastered by our sinful desires and passions and urges like we were some wild beast. No, no. We consider Christ who's granted us the grace and power to walk in holiness, to walk in purity for the glory of our God.